Did you say anything, Barbara? Not a lot. <laughs> Did you say I'm Barbara Borden? I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> I speak, this is my first language. So. Yeah, no, no. And, uh, you know, someone, one of my friends is a mindfulness researcher. I asked him recently, I said, you know, it's harder for me to remember names of people that I actually know. And, uh, it must be that I'm old. He said, no, no. He said, well, first of all, it is that I'm old, or partly or a little bit. But he said, you know, a person's name is the least important thing to remember about them. Because your name could be Barbara Borden or Jane Smith or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the, the operative thing about you is I know who your life partner is and I know what the, that you drum and I know where you've been and I know what you're like in your personality and if your name was something else. So I'd, if I had forgotten, it would be all right. This is a better introduction, actually, than Barbara Borden. So who drove you here, actually? Uh, she's not here yet. She's parked in the car. Amy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, there I was driving along this morning, and Amy Metzenbaum, who I don't know, said, called, hello, this is Amy Metzenbaum. I have Barbara in the car. And we've been detoured. How many people got detoured? The re did the rest of you come from West Marin to begin with, or where did you come from? You were in Nicosia. Yeah, Nevada. Oh, you came out the back way. You came out the back way anyway. That was very good. So we were in San Anselmo, and we had to come yeah. all the way around and all the way out to the highway and up to Lucas Valley Road, and over Lucas Valley Road, and then over Nicasio Valley. But, but wasn't we, it beautiful? It was beautiful, it was beautiful. How many people here have not been to, we're gonna just say hello, and then I'll, you just, are you all right without a chair? Uh, yeah, because uh, we're gonna do some stuff soon, right? Right away, right away, right away. Without a chair. Okay, a couple of minutes. Because a lot of people have not been here before today for, for who is it a first time here today? What's your name? David Brown. Ta-da, so Barbara knew you. Who knew that before? <laughs> I'm glad to meet you then. I only know you from having seen the film. Brooke, Brooke. Welcome. Where do you live? Oh, so what? Were you all the way coming out here and then had to turn around and go the whole other way? May or may not have gone through. Oh, you had an Uber driver who just did it. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there police or somebody around? Did you pass major equipment going? Okay, fix the mic. Well, I'm certainly glad you're here and that you had an intrepid Uber driver. Other ear. Other ear. Okay. We'll see. Well, I'm glad you're here. Will the Uber driver come and get you? Yeah. Oh. Good, otherwise we could have found you a ride, but that's great, good.
But listen, everybody, everybody's wheels are turning, aren't they? About, you know, I, on the other hand, followed orders. It was actually Lynn who followed orders. Okay. Well, there you go. Huh? I don't know. I came out yesterday afternoon and it was open. But it isn't. But it didn't rain since yesterday, and I came out yesterday afternoon. Okay. Well, well, who else hasn't been here before? What's your name? Jasmine. And where do you live? Um, I live in Nevada. Oh yeah, you came the back way. Oh okay. No, that's good. The back way is always prettier, anyway. Javalika, okay, that's close, but not exactly. How, wh where do you live? We are coming from Seattle, Washington. Yeah. <laughs> it's much prettier. Yeah, well, I'm glad. And I think it's raining more even in Seattle. It's raining, yeah. It is beautiful here. I'm going to New York tomorrow and it's snowing there, so. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Isn't it beautiful here? Oh, good. I'm happy that you're both here. What's your name? That's great. Will you stay for a while? Okay. That's nice. That's nice. And these days it's lovely. So who else? Yeah. Uh huh. So did you know to not continue? <laughs> okay, it remains a mystery then. And so everybody introduced, this is my friend Barbara Borden, who I've known for a fair amount of years. Since the first Iraq war. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not surprised, even though it didn't come immediately to my mind, because that's the kind of a place where I would have Right. Been and you would have been. And you were helping me. All right. Well, here we are now. <laughs> I hope somewhat further along in history, but who knows? That's a whole other story. Uh, and uh, Barbara's here today, as I said last week, because uh, I recently saw the extraordinary film documentary that David made of Barbara, Keeper, uh, Keeper of the Beat. Uh, and her really, uh, uh, the pictures of you, the movies of you as a child are really wonderful. Uh, you look like you, always. And uh, I particularly like the story about that you made such a scene about the story about... My first toy drum, huh? Having made a scene in the toy store. So yeah, that yeah, yeah. Sears Roebuck. I got my first toy drum from Sears Roebuck. 
And um, I wouldn't leave. I sat down and started playing it. And my mother said, we've got to go. And I said, no, not until you buy me this drum. <laughs> so she, instead of leaving me there all night, she decided to buy the drum. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> Easy decision. And, uh, and I was really impressed with the film and I, for several reasons. First of all, I'm very, I, I'm very impressed with the fact that drumming not only is an art, but like every other art, especially music, uh, it's a contemplative art where you really have to do decades of extreme practice of one-pointed focus to get to be good at it. And the the sense of mindfulness meditation is that we are going to pay such attention moment to moment that our focus goodness Barbara Laura what happened we all did good good I, you know I okay wasn't me I didn't do anything no. Um, and I want to talk about it a little bit later because I, I was thinking about when anybody does anything uh, to the point of really perfecting it as an art you know, when you watch someone win the Olympics and, and figure skating or perform the uh, Rachmaninoff cello concerto uh, in an amazing way, and you, you realize how much one per one uh, pointed focus for how many years, how much dedication, how much determination, how much patience, how much of all the qualities that make up the ten fundamental virtues, according to Buddhism, actually, are needed to do that. So, I wanted for her to come here because I thought it was relevant to talking about the limits of human talent, like um, the, the, the limit of, uh, of um, the spiritual development talent, according to the Buddha, is we would so thoroughly see the, the suffering that's part of, uh, that's really um, embedded in human life experience, that we would never be other than kind. We would so thoroughly have mastered all the impulsive, self-centered thoughts that often block out remembering that everybody's in the same boat as we are. And we perfectly remember that everybody is just like us and we would be nothing but peaceful and kind to other people. Out of... out of compassion for all living beings. So you say you develop anything all the way along. And for these weeks, I wanted to be talking about the perfections of the heart according to the Buddha, and that the ultimate perfection was that you'd have a mind that stayed clear and remember the truth. The ultimate perfection of ice skating is that you can execute that, difficult terms, perfectly. Uh, uh, and it's not quite the same uh, in terms of uh, recognizing the the, um, the 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 challenge of life to m make yourself 
uh, at ease in it. I was thinking about a friend of mine whose son actually did uh, uh, ice skating. Every morning at 5.30, they were in, there used to be a rink over in Larkspur, and his parents would drive him. And from six years old until 17, when he was a competitor for the Olympics, and the first three people nationwide go to the Olympics, and he placed fourth. So you think, you know, every, even in something that's fantastic, it's not perfect, you know, that, not fantastic, but this and that happens. I hadn't meant to tell that whole story, but anyway, here's this lovely film, really inspiring film, because not only is Barbara a wonderful drummer and is drumming a contemplative art, but she's a woman, and uh, drumming is not so usual for women as it is for men. And today is International Women's Day. Did you wear red? You forgot. Who remembered? Lucy remembered, you remembered. You remembered, he remembered. There you go. <laughs> International Women's Day, the first march on International, first interna the first Women's Day march was in 1903. It officially, the date was sent, set, no, 1908. The official date was set in 1911. And 1908, 15,000 women who were working women, probably in the garment industry in New York, um, were marching for equal pay. So we're still marching. And they're figuring if it increases parity of women with men continues at the same rate that it is, has been, it will be 2084 before that parody is reached. I read that this morning, but that seems ridiculous, actually. But here we are, so that's enough of that. I asked Barbara to come today for a couple of reasons. I wanted her to be here and drum for you. I wanted to introduce her to you so you would uh, think about coming to the Lark Theater on the 26th of March, which is two weeks from Sunday, Sunday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where uh, you'll pay to go to the movies at 4 o'clock. And part of but it's a, not a big amount. A million people are not going to come to the movies. But, I, but a lot of people, I hope, will come to the movies and go out and tell their friends you ought to see this movie, and the friends will tell their friends, and they'll see the movie, or they'll get it, or they'll meet Barbara. Because at this point in the film's development, it's won lots of prizes and recognition, but it needs to move to the next level, and it needs another level of financing. So we are the Kickstarter, a Kickstarter, among others. So I hope you'll come. Is that a good thing to say about it? Okay, all right. Uh, I'm rehearsing, you know, for when we're there. <laughs> And I asked Barbara to come today and do two things for us. First, I, I asked her to get us all to be drumming as a way of really noticing how the attention gets focused on rhythm when you're trying to keep it. And then that she'd uh, do a performance piece that uh, she did on uh, New Year's Day for us here. And that when she finishes that, we'll just sit quietly for the rest of the time until 11 o'clock and do our normal sitting here quietly, resting in the moment, and then we'll teach some more at 11 o'clock. So does that seem good to you? That seems very fine. Good. Yes. 
do it. <laughs> I, I, I think about everything starting with drumming. Just think if Congress started meeting with drums first, drumming, ev them drumming, everybody yeah. drumming. They did. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Oh, if, if, yeah. if. Yeah. I thought some no, of the piece they, of history oh boy, that, that I missed. A, that would be some movement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so ready to go? Go. Okay, so um, you may stand up if you'd like or remain seated, or you can even lie down on the floor if you want to. I imagine it's a little cool down there. But what we're going to do is just get ourselves, two things are going to happen. You're going to join me in the pulse. Now the pulse, just to make it easy, is there, there's no clock in here, but the clocks that used to have second hands, you could see the pulse every time the second hand would move one notch. That's a pulse. And there's 60 of those in a minute because it moves every second. So now that we have digital clocks, you don't see that in the same way. But that's the pulse. So the pulse consists of either a movement or a sound and then space and another movement or sound and then space. And there's equal space between each movement and sound. So, for example, when we walk, and you all do walking meditation, I know, so you can put this in your next walking meditation, but uh, we're going to walk faster than in the meditations here. But if you just walk in place, so I'll, I'll walk loudly here. So you hear that? We, got, we have a pulse going. And, of course, our built-in pulse is the heartbeat. And uh, that goes on automatically for all of our lives, amazingly. So here we are pulsing with our feet. So let's all do that. And the second thing that's going to happen when we all do that, and if you're sitting, you can just use your feet if you'd like, or use your hands on your legs if you're more comfortable doing that. And um, so the second thing that happens to us automatically is that we entrain with each other because all of us are coming down at the same time and going up at the same time, lifting our legs up. So this is the beat, and now I'll just play it on my drum. So when the feet come down, the feet come on to the beat. Yeah. The feet come on to the beat. Yeah. The feet come on to the beat. Uh-huh. The feet, now we can add the hands, too, with a little clap. <clears throat> so with the feet, we're clapping. And just close your eyes for a minute. Feel your feet. Feel your foot go down, and then come back up, 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 up. So musicians who are very smart made names for these things. When your feet go down, that's called the downbeat. And when your feet come up, that's called the upbeat. So now let's try clapping on the upbeat. So your feet are coming down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. And just close your eyes again. Check into your body and see how that all feels. Y'all come, y'all come. Y'all come to see us by and by. Y'all come. Y'all come, here to spirit rock and you will fly. 
Yeah, good. Now, back to the downbeat with your clapping and your feet. So notice, close your eyes again and just notice how that feels. Good. Now keep your feet going just like they are. And then clap anything that comes to you as a little rhythm. We have a little orchestra here now. And again, you can close your eyes and listen, feel. Gonna end one, two, three, and boom. Ah. So close your eyes again and just feel your body for a minute. So just Real quickly, just uh, throw out any words that you felt or noticed or anything you'd like to say. Just, we can all do it at the same time. Yeah, I always feel extra alive after, during and after drumming, so. Well, thank you. You're all graduates, and we have the tour bus. We'll go on tour soon. <laughs> and be performing our clapping and stomping routine. <laughs> that was great. So um, I, you can sit down or stand up and move, if you'd like to, to this next piece, uh, which uh, Sylvia requested I do, and I'm really happy because I love this piece. It came to me uh, one morning. I was sitting in bed and I just got all these words rolling through so I wrote them all down as fast as I could and then edited and edited and took a bunch out and came up with actually what I consider to be my philosophical uh, way of being. So this is called BB Beat from the Tower of Love. Well, I say, it's BB Beat here, broadcasting directly from high atop the great tower of love. L, 
O V E, living on vibration eternally. Love, living on vibration eternally. Giving birth to the beauty inside every beat, inside every moment. Ooh, what a treat to be personally plugged into the heartbeat, the great heartbeat of life, an indescribably delicious crystalline liquid oozing through each and every one of us. Sometimes called light, sometimes called love, or both. It's a warm caress landing deep inside the chest, a heart flash to the soul, driving down the highway to the never-ending well, the well that keeps us whole, whole and holy. Hearts open wide, no place to hide, no duck and cover, because we are the lovers, yes, 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 we are the lovers we've been waiting for. It's BB Beat here saying let go of fear Covers up the love we are, the reason we are here Why not play that love beat together? Doesn't matter what the weather As we jump into a part of what is true The palpable, perpetual, provocative pulse The big beat, the big beat mm, I say the palpable, perpetual, provocative pulse Throbbing, throbbing, endlessly through time and space, moving and grooving everywhere, every place, entering all forms of life, even the human race, as we tumble dry on the plains of existence, testing our tendencies toward resistance. We forget that we are part of all eternity, that we are meant to be ecstatic and free, to simply be, 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 be here now. I say be, 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 be. Be here now, yeah, doesn't matter about the why, doesn't matter about the how of what this life is really for. Oh, my children worry no more. Well, it's BBB here with a great big cheer. Hey, hey, BBB, I see, see your incredible divinity. So join in the fun, laugh and play, just a little bit feels so good each and every day. No need to pay attention to what others might say as we drum and dance and sing sweet release. We can eradicate the critic's voice and even the police of our minds with happiness, not just a fling with luscious love. The prize brass ring, remembering, remembering to be kind, 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 kind. Let us rock and let us roll and let us not forget that we are whole and good and wise and wild and true in the groove on the move, big bright love light shining through. This is it, here and now, me and you. All of us together know a beat we can do that is loving each other into being brand new. So celebrate, 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 celebrate this happy creation. Because we are the lovers of peace and joy, 
keeping the beat for future generations. It's BB Beat here, broadcasting directly from high atop the great tower of love. L O V E. Love. Yeah. <laughs> Say that. You know, this is not in the movie. But you'll do it. Often. But I'll do it live there again. Yeah, I like to do this one live. Come to do, come to the Lark. Brava. You know what I forgot? When we were on, because I said after Barbara plays, we'll all sit quietly. I forgot that that's the line that I say after Barbara plays the cello. Then we'll all sit quietly. It'll draw, it'll draw out into a long note. We'll all be sitting there quietly. That was the wrong Barbara. This Barbara, <laughs> you cannot sit quietly afterwards. You have to say, yay. So we'll sit quietly, but we have to have like a break between. Then we can say, sit quietly. Really, bravo, sweetheart. Okay. Making the point that the mind has the capability of not wandering, that you probably stayed pretty much focused on what was going on right then. And, just as Barbara said, what do you mostly feel after we had been doing our own personal drumming? What do you mostly feel now? I mostly feel like I am not going to take off this apparatus if it does this one more time. What is that? Is that a fuse blowing or something? Laura, Laura. Yes, please. I also feel anxious because each time I feel like I'm going to get it, it. It sounds like how it might sound if you were electrocuted or something. That's a really the hearing aid thing. You turned it off, Lucy. I don't know. Well. <laughs> Yeah, but Ace has one on. It's not you making that, is it? <laughs> okay, whatever it is, this is our practice. I'm going to I'm going to suggest that everybody feels uplifted and thrilled and pleased. Ceremonious. There you go. Celebratory. Celebratory, L-O-V-E. Wide awake. And here comes Laura. Laura, really, do something. Good, good. Lucy thinks maybe it was her hearing device here. Let's sit quietly for... Twelve, fifteen minutes.
healing your mind and your body, that's all.
a few minutes we'll open our eyes and ordinarily we use these minutes at the end to mention people who we've been thinking about often for reasons of um, their circumstances being difficult at this moment. Sometimes because their circumstances are unusually good all of a sudden. Thinking about a friend of mine who had surgery yesterday that was meant to be routine and turned out not to be routine, but worked out in the end to be completely okay. It was more extensive than she'd imagined. And I'm hopeful that, that Kathy is recovering because she will be well now, even though this Who are you thinking about? Not me.
I don't think it's this because I didn't move at that time. It sounded like it's here somewhere, but... Laura, is it this microphone maybe being up here? Yeah, I don't know, is it on? But it happens when I'm not even moving. Not me, but I don't know. Is that working now? Okay. I think if it happens again, what we'll do is turn off all the electronics. You tell, no, I, I guess we should try one more time. We'll turn off all the electronics. Everyone will move their chair up here. We'll pretend it's my living room. And I'll just talk in a normal tone of voice. Is this on? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm sorry for it startling right in the middle. I'm thinking about the fact that I came here yesterday afternoon with um, a very old friend of mine who is, we are old friends in the sense that she's 90 years old and we've been friends for 55 years since the day that I arrived in California. So uh, we've been old friends and we're old women who are old friends. And I brought her here because she'd very much like to come to class, but she is too hearing impaired to hear under these kinds of circumstances even with hearing devices and her own hearing aids. But she wanted very much to see um, what's out here. And uh, also her own ability to get around or to sit still for two hours is compromised. So um, we parked in the handicapped space and she could maneuver in here. And she sat on the chairs in the very back. And we sat a little bit back there, and she said, it's very peaceful in here. I wish I could come. So I'm thinking about Marilyn this morning, who is very curtailed in the things that she can do in her life. But she's interested in doing everything. And um, both of us remark all the time on how wonderful it is that uh, notwithstanding her physical limitations of moving around and hearing, her mind is the same mind that it ever was. So that's a great blessing. I was thinking as we sat here this morning,
It is remarkably quiet in here. And really, with the views out, it's remarkably peaceful. May all beings have people who are concerned about them and take care of them. May everyone feel cared for. Did everybody come in in time to say hello? Anybody's no, there you go. What's your name? Cindy. Did you come with John or did you just come by yourself? <coughs> From Alameda. Did you come all the way out here and then have to go out around? Oh, Cindy, good for you. Thank you for coming. Who else didn't get to say hello? What's your name? Orville. Yes, and I had planned to be here exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Where do you live? North Valley. Oh, you had a lot of around and around. Surprise. Were you born in the Midwest? Chicago. All the Orvilles I know, which is now you are the first, <laughs> uh, were born in the Midwest. Uh, a pretty long time ago, so welcome. I'm glad you're here. And there are two men behind you. Who are they? My name's Jonathan. I just meet Oh, so you walked. There you go. Okay. Welcome. Uh, and oh, so you went around and around. What's your name? Aaron. Oh, hey. Happy birthday. It's yours too, Joan. That right, that right. Happy birthday. We should probably have to start doing that too. And you're a Giants fan, clearly, from the hat, right? 49ers. Do they have a different insignia? If you were a Giants fan, would it still... Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go, okay. So I'm glad you're, yeah, oh, there you are. Well, I thought about it, and I thought today, we should just really, I'm, I'm very pleased that everybody went through such serious, in, including me, I didn't know until I was en route that this didn't, wasn't going to work. And I didn't drive, my friend Lynn drove, so that was great. It was also a great act of generosity to me, which I wanted to talk about today because of the following. Well, first of all, I wanted to talk, but I already did talk about the fact that it's Women's Day. Maybe come up again in what I was going to say. But somehow I was thinking a lot about um, the... Do you remember... Here's how it happened, I was, that I put this together in this way. Do you remember when we finished class last week, we'd been talking about 
balancing the mind? How do you keep it buoyant enough with the news is very distressing to most of us. Um, I never do say, is there anybody here who voted differently uh, or regrets how they voted or anything like that? Because however you voted, you voted. Um, but um, American politics is not flowing along in a normal way now. I think we're all a little, at least a little, distressed, um, as am I about it. And last week we talked about um, what do you do when your mind becomes too fatigued with distress to be able to think clearly about things. And that, uh, not that we shouldn't be distressed. They, there was a bumper sticker in Berkeley, I remember for a while, as if it was a, um, yeah, it was a bumper sticker on the back of cars. It said, um, if you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. And do you remember that? I learned that bumper sticker because I was being interviewed on uh, uh, KDFC. What, what is the Berkeley Public Radio? KPFA. And uh, I, they said, well, tell us about mindfulness. And I said, really, who knows what I said, but it must have been a very standard being awake to the moment and what's going on and really noticing everything that's going on and how you feel about it. And, and the host said, uh, well, how do, you, you know, how do you feel about it? I said, well, if you feel about it, you know, you're awake, you're alive in your life. Some stock answer, I don't know. And he said, here in Berkeley, we have a bumper sticker that says, uh, if you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. And I had just done this big rap about the value of paying attention. If you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. We are, we are paying attention, and we are periodically distressed and depressed and demoralized and everything else. So the question was, how do you keep your spirits up? And somebody said, it was the very end of class, do you remember? Uh, somebody said, I watch cat videos at night. <laughs> and then we ended on the, on the elephant video, do you remember that, the elephant getting dug out of the pit? And, so, and we joked around about like, you know. Then the next day, a couple of things happened. I went to see the, the movie that's still in the Rafael called Kedi. It's the Cats of Istanbul. Who has seen it? It's remarkable, isn't it? There are, uh, I feel like I just said that. I did just say it on Sunday. I didn't tell you about the, we didn't discuss it here last week, no. There are 100,000 cats roaming around Istanbul that nobody owns, but that everybody takes care of. And they, they, uh, they looked, at, and this is a documentary about the cats of Istanbul, and it's beautifully filmed, so I really hope you see it for that reason. Lots of aerial views of Istanbul, and just beautiful, and beautiful music in the background, and the kind of Middle Eastern music, really lovely. And here are all these cats, and everybody takes care of them. Uh, and the cats appeared to me, they, they profiled certain main cats that, uh, as they went through a day. And they interviewed six or eight people. You saw people in the video, in, in the movie, but mostly you saw cats. And every once in a while they interviewed somebody who was feeding cats. Uh, and they looked at me uh, as I watched the movie, 
to be something like the monks in Burma or Thailand who go out every day on their alms rounds. They make certain rounds around in the village and the villagers know when the monks are coming and they, stand, they, they prepare food for the monks and they go outside and the monks pass by with their bowls and the villagers put food in the bowls and the monks go back to the monastery. These cats make their rounds in different places and the shopkeepers say, oh yeah, he comes around every day and this one comes around every day. And you don't know where they live except the camera follows at least one of them under a, under a fence and over a wall and into a building that looks like a warehouse and into a box where that cat has a bunch of kittens. And it takes a picture and it follows a cat as it's running with a big piece of food in its mouth to bring it home to its kittens and it deposits it, kittens are eating, it runs out again. It's very touching. They look to me like mendicant monks. The people do, are not annoyed by them. As a matter of fact, one of them said, you know, this one, that one's his mother and that one's his aunt. And this other one over there, he has a, uh, an ear infection, so I have this little bottle of antibiotic drops and I'm putting them, or eye infection, I'm putting them in his eye when he comes around every day. And it's totally touching. Uh, the main piece of it, that for, which I said, oh, I have to tell this story, is that one man has a, a bag of fish heads was not clear to me whether he was a fisherman or he went to the docks every day where they had cleaned the fish and one or two plastic bags of fish heads. He makes his way to a certain part of town where the cats are waiting for him. And he's talking all the while, I come here every day, I come here, and as he's arriving at his place, cats, it looks like millions of cats are coming out of all over the place and he's putting the fish out for them. He says, I do this every day. He said, I've been doing it for 10 years. He said, 10 years ago, I had a, a, a psychological breakdown, a nervous breakdown. I was very, very sick. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't even talk. Couldn't make sense. He said, then I started to do the cats. And then I did the cats. I, I did more and more. Now I do the cats every day. And the cats taught me how to be a human being. And the cats taught me how to love. He said, you know, last night I couldn't come because something about his day, he didn't get out of work on time, I didn't quite get it. But he said, I couldn't come yesterday because such and such happened. And he said, you know, I couldn't eat my dinner with a good conscience. I couldn't enjoy my dinner with a good conscience because I hadn't fed the cats. I thought to myself, he doesn't have an, you know, he's, he's, he's an extraordinarily kind person. I remember at the end of Barbara's playing, she said, kind, kind, love, and kind, and kind, and kind. My friend Lou Richmond, who teaches Zen, my friend Lou Richmond, it must be 10 years ago now, uh, maybe even a little more, he suddenly took terribly ill one day and went to the hospital and very nearly died of viral uh, encephalitis. And uh, the friend, our friend, Lou and I are part of a, uh, a Buddhist group of companions. We've been, we're all Buddhist teachers in different lineages, been meeting together for more than 20 years now. 
And we read six or eight times a year and spend time together. And Lou was in the hospital in critical care, intubated, breathing off a machine, really quite hanging between life and death for a couple of days. And ultimately, he got better. And now he's fine. And uh, I, I remember that at a group meeting of all of us sitting around, um, the six or eight other members of the group, talking about actually confessing that during the time that Lou had been in crisis, we had each of us in our mind begun to compose his eulogy because all of us would have been invited to his funeral had that happened. And we were all thinking about what we would say about him. And we were talking about that and someone talked about how Lou is, in addition to being a very good Dharma teacher, he's a, 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 a wonderful pianist and a very good composer. And he also has developed a certain program of software that he now has a company continuing to develop and produce and sell. And of his marketing skills and of what he has done for uh, the teachings of Suzuki Roshi over the years. And somebody among us, uh, maybe it was our friend Jack Cornfield, somebody else, said, you know, more than anything, uh, uh, Lou was a, a very good person. And uh, somebody else among us said, really? I mean, not really, I'm surprised. He said, really? We've been sitting here for years now talking about all these esoteric, wonderful, great, metaphysical understandings that different people have, all of these things. We've talked about all these extraordinary things about Lou. And uh, is uh, being a good person the best thing about Lou that you can say? Best thing about anybody that you say? say I remember exactly, he said, that's it? That's all? And, and, uh, and, I, and I, I remember I, I wrote about it later on. I said, Roger said, that's all. And I said, I think that's all. He's all those other things. But that's all. He's a very, very good person. And what the Buddha taught about it, and we don't teach it so much because it's not the line of meditating to observe the three truths about life and then developing that understanding so it permeates our very being. But it is, actually when our very being is permeated with the understanding that li every, everyone's life, for everyone, our experience is temporal. It's passing as we experience it. And it's all gone, no matter how amazing a life or wonderful, whatever, it's gone, except for the memories of it. And that we suffer every time that we need to organize ourselves around a new reality. That's true whether the new reality is a new government in Washington or uh, the fact that uh, our body has now had a diagnosis that isn't what we used to have and it's worrisome. We're always trying to accommodate to new circumstances because the nature of impermanence makes everything a new circumstance and everything that changes, you have to accommodate for it. It's like... Um, Oh, it's my friend and colleague, Wes Nisker, does a comedy riff, because uh, he's also a stand-up comic as well as a Dharma teacher, where uh, 
AIDS. I, I'm not even going to attempt doing it anything like West. But he says, my body is sending me letters. I said, hey, Mr. Nisker, these are your eyes. We've been working for about 70 years up here, and we're tired. So we're taking a little bit off. We're not working so hard anymore. You're on your own. And then he goes through all the parts of his body. Hey, Wes, you know, we knocked ourselves out a lot, but we're finished knocking ourselves out. We're out of strength now, so we're not going to work anymore. You're on your own. Manage it. And it's very funny when you hear it. You know, but really, that's what it's like. You know, when you think about life, you want so much, if you want so much, to marry and have a child, or have a child. You have a child. And then you love the child, and then you worry for the child, and you worry about what isn't going right, and to take care of it. And let's even assume that everything works right. And then they're often on their own. They say, that's it, I'm all grown up, don't tell me what to do. And you know, that's, that's God, and you worry about them even. There's nothing in this life that's without needing to accommodate to the, uh-oh, this might be tedious, this might be scary. Really, the understanding is if we knew that, if we knew any minute this isn't going to work or something else isn't going to work, we really would be just so interested and delighted to have another day of life. Say, okay, let's see what's going to happen today, because we never really know how many we're going to have. I think about that all the time. It's not just that I'm old. I always did think about it. No, no, seriously, I, sometimes people say, why did you get in, in, interested in this whole dharma business? Did something bad happen to you in your, in your life? Many years ago, uh, the two, daughter, two girls who were sisters, uh, and one of them was in my daughter's class at Wolf Grade School, basic school then, were run over in the morning by a car that ran up on the sidewalk on their way to school. They were six and seven years old, and they were walking to school on a suburban sidewalk, and they died. And I was so inwardly distraught about that. I could not imagine that happened to me, that happening to me. I had four children who walked down that very street every morning. But it could, from a car, from an epidemic, from this, from that. And if we really thought about that, that every day is like a, a, a gift, because it could be otherwise, we'd be so nice to people. And it'd be, not only because it'd be painful if we held a grudge, but even if we don't know people, we, we would recognize that everybody is in the same situation that I am of being mortal. And so they must have those kinds of concerns. Fundamentally, we all have that existential angst. And we'd be very kind to each other. And all the kind ways that we would be we, uh, amount to being generous, being moral, behaving ourselves with other people, being patient, being honest. Last Thursday, I remember last Wednesday, we were talking something about generosity. Last Thursday, I was walking um, walking down, down the street. I had to park my car several blocks from the symphony hall, 
I had tickets in the afternoon last Thursday afternoon to go to the symphony. And I did see a cellist play the Shostakovich cello concerto in a totally amazing performance of cello. Orchestra was applauding for him afterwards. It was really amazing. And afterwards, I was walking up the street, and my car was several blocks away. So there was nobody standing around in the street, no nothing. I'm crossing yet one more street to get to where my car is. There's a man standing on the corner, just by himself, not carrying anything. He was dressed enough. He didn't have like an overcoat or a top coat, but it was a warm day. Just standing there, not carrying anything. Didn't look like he was homeless because he was neatly enough dressed. He was an older man just standing there. And I came up near, I was just going to pass him, and he said, um, could you give me a few dollars so I could buy something to eat this afternoon? So I, I immediately we'd been talking about generosity here. I'd had some other, uh, there are people closer to the symphony hall that have signs that are there all the time that I talk to all the time. But he didn't look like that. He didn't have stuff. I said, would you buy me, uh, would, would you give me a few dollars so I could buy something to eat this afternoon? And right across the street from where I was was one of those grocery stores that are on the corners in that part of the city, Mom Pa Grocery. I said, you want me to buy you a sandwich? He said, yes. I said, okay, let's go over there. I'll buy you a sandwich. And we cross the street and we go in. And I'm not sure he can read. So I say, uh, you want turkey or roast beef? He said, I want turkey. And then I see he doesn't have teeth, or he didn't have teeth in. So I was glad for the turkey, because that was easier. Anyway, we buy the sandwich. And I say to him, listen, I have to go, but you wait here. I'm paying for the sandwich here. And um, you wait for the sandwich, And uh, but I have to go now. OK, he so said, thank you, I left. Oh, I said to him, do you have a place to sleep tonight? He said, yeah. I live in a board and care for the elderly home. So I said, OK, good. So I didn't have to think about where we were going to sleep. It was still, oh, anyway. And then so I walked down the street, and it took me, all, I don't know, a couple of minutes to get to the end of the street, get to my car. And I'm just getting in my car, and I see he's walking down the street uh, towards me, and he stops several buildings before me, and I kind of hide so he isn't going to feel obligated to talk to me anymore. Because he's walking along with a sandwich, unopened in his hand, and looking so happy about it. And he went, went into a building, that was a kind of low, plain building with big windows, but with curtains on them and all closed. Like there, in that area, there are a whole bunches of convalescent homes and um, uh, nursing homes that uh, that are, are. It's a, not a high-income area, and it looked very much like a board and care home. And he had the key to the door, and he went in, and I was so pleased. Because I thought, oh, you know, I thought, well, you know, the thought went through my mind. It's in a board and care, so they're surely feeding him. But he looked so pleased with his sandwich, and I was so happy. They just carried him back to his room. He would sit down and have a sandwich by himself in his room. I really felt good about it. The next day, you know, two days later, 
in Saturday's New York Times. They have a, an editorial called The Pope and the Panhandler. New Yorkers, if not city dwellers everywhere, might acknowledge a debt to, a debt to St. Francis this week. He has offered a concrete, permanently useful prescription for dealing with panhandlers. It's this. Give them the money and don't worry about it. <laughs> That's it. The Pope's advice from an interview with a Milan magazine uh, just before the beginning of Lent is startlingly simple. It's scripturally sound, yet possibly confounding, even subversive. Living in the city, a city, especially in metropolises where homelessness is an unsolved, unending crisis, means that at some point in your day or week, a person seeming or claiming to be homeless or suffering with a disability will ask you for help. You probably already have a policy. You keep walking or not, you give or not, loose coins, a dollar, just a shake of the head. Your rule may be blanket or case to case. If it's case by case, that means you have your own on-the-spot, individualized, individualized benefits program with a bit of means testing, mental health and character assessment, and criminal background check <laughs> to the extent that any of this is possible from a second or two of looking someone up and down. Francis's solution eliminates that effort, but it's by no means effortless. Speaking to the magazine Tennis Shoes in Naples, uh, a monthly for, about the, for, for and about the homeless and mar marginalized, the Pope said that giving something to someone in need is always right. But what, they said in that interview, what, do they, what about if the person uses the money, say, for a glass of wine? Pope's answer, if a glass of wine is the only happiness he has in life, that's okay. Instead, ask yourself, what do you do on the sly? What happiness do you seek in secret? Another way to look at it, he said, is to recognize how you are the luckier one, with a home, a spouse, and then ask your, your responsibility, why should your responsibility to help be pushed onto someone else? He also added a greater challenge. He said that the way of giving is as important as the gift. You should not simply drop a bill into a cup and walk away. You must stop, look the person in the eyes, and touch her or his hands. The reason, he said, is to preserve dignity, to see another person not as a pathology or a social condition, but as a human with a life whose value is equal to your own. That's exactly what the Buddha's idea was, uh, the Buddha said, the, Jack quoted him recently in something that he wrote, that the Buddha said, if you once f share a meal, if you it once enjoy the, the uh, pleasure of generosity, you will never eat a meal by yourself again. I thought about that line when I saw the, the film with the cats and the man who said, I was uncomfortable eating my dinner last night because I hadn't been out to feed the cats. I think to myself about when people do remarkable things. I was thinking about in terms of uh, virtuosity. When we listen to Barbara play, we feel exalted, lifted up because somebody practiced so long and with such diligence and such determination 
that they did that. And we just take pleasure in someone else's virtuosity or someone um, does a, a prenatal surgery on a, on a, well, let me take one that I actually know in person. Like my friend yesterday who had something a little bit worrisome turned into something more worrisome. Now it's not worrisome at all. She just has to recuperate. And somebody knew how to do that and how to cut and how to look and how to do. And all of those things, like musical skill and the ability to go to medical school, depend on your having been born with some special gift, to have been born with a lot of intellect or into a special community where someone would have recognized uh, your, your potential virtuosity. There's a man named... Green. Ryan Green, Ryan Green. Ryan Green is a bass baritone with the uh, Metropolitan Opera, singing a lead role this year in La Boheme. He was in juvenile hall as a adolescent. He had he can't he couldn't read music. He was you know a teenager in juvenile hall in solitary confinement for explosive behavior. And one of the workers in the juvenile hall noticed that he was singing along with the radio, and that he seemed to really have a a, a really a voice of potential dimension. There was something to his voice and got him uh, to meet a, uh, a music teacher in the juvenile hall system who also recognized that and worked with him and helped him to begin to sing and helped him to get uh, into a performing arts high school and directed him and he there met someone who recognized in him a potential student. He couldn't read music. He was a poor academic student. And against all odds, he had a few teachers who really loved him amazingly and helped him along, helped him along, helped him along, helped him along. And impossibly, he came out number one in a metropolitan opera a nationwide, worldwide contest of young singers coming up with stage fright, with everything. He did uh, five years, I think, with the Vienna State Opera as a, as, a, as a kind of an internship coming up. And now he's singing with the Metropolitan Opera. It's kind of against all odds. He's African-American man. There are some who are singing now, but it would have been impossible a while back. Certainly did not, he, he was brought up by a single mother with all kinds of emotional difficulties in poverty. I think that when I read that story, there's a book called Sing for Your Life. It's not written by him, it's written by somebody else about him, and it's amazing. And when I read it, I think, oh, look at this man now, as a boy, like what are the odds that you're gonna be a poor, poor and black of a single family, uh, unhappy with the various men that come through your mother's life, acting out in a bad way. What's the possibility that you're gonna end up singing leading roles with the Metropolitan Opera? It's very small. Somebody is gonna to have to realize this boy has a talent. It makes me cry when I think about it. 
and really knocked themselves out. I mean, he kept on all the while because the people who took him on really loved him tremendously, you know, and really, really wanted to help him. And it's so, on the one hand, picks up my mind for him, and I think how many other people have a potential voice? How many other people, if they were in a school district where they gave everybody uh, an instrument to see which one suited them, and say, oh, you seem to have a knack for this, you seem to have a knack for that. The current tuba player in the San Francisco Symphony is highlighted in each month. They have a different player that's highlighted. Our friend who comes and plays here sometime, Barbara Bogatin, was highlighted a month or two ago. This month, it's the tuba player. I've forgotten what his name was, Jeffrey something. He said when he was a child, and they gave out instruments to his whole class, he started, he said before that, like in the second grade, he had the kazoo or something. But then when they had real instruments, they, he got a tuba. And he loved it. And now he's a tuba player. And, you know, most people don't start with a tuba. They start with a trumpet, and then they go to a, a, a baritone horn, or then they go to a trombone, and then, you know. But he started on a tuba. You don't know who's going to say what to whom. But if you live in a school district where they have tubas, and they do that, you might find out that you have a talent. And if you live in a school district where they don't have crayons, and they don't have paper, and they, don't have, they have 40 people in the classroom, and they have no room for an arts project program, that's not going to happen to you. You can get born with the right vocal cords. It really, it, I think about it, and it really, it, back to what I want to talk about, because this is such an opening to talk about public schools and the possibility of public schools that is now threatened. But I think it's not going to happen. That's just a private little... You have to feel hopeful, because it's so unhopeful. I think many people will. I joined a thing called People Power, or what is it? Yet another thing that I signed up for online to send me adverts. Do you know what it's called? It's like people power? What is it? It's like people something. And they're having a meeting this Saturday all over the country, millions of meetings. Not millions, but many. One of them in the College of Marin at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon to find out how you can be a local organizer. They are ground, they are grassroots organizing for a new government. Not, it's apart from candidates, grassroots program. Go to the College of Marin. I would. I'll be. I'm going to New York to visit my friend there. Tomorrow, I'll be back next week. I started to say before, and that's really what I want to be sure to emphasize, that this business of um, is being good. Like the, the, the end of that story is I was telling you about particular talents. Ryan Green was born with a talent to sing, and it fortunately got developed. Not everybody has that talent. I can't carry a tune. Some people have perfect pitch. I have a very good visual memory. 
not such a not not kind of visual that I recognize faces. I'm very bad recognizing faces. I have the kind of um, remembering that if I look at a page, I remember what's on it. That was extremely helpful when I went to school. That was when I went to college, even graduate school, very helpful to be able to imagine what does it say on the page and then recreate it on an exam. So I can memorize things very well. Not people's faces, but poetry and everybody's got different stuff. But you know, in order to be a musician, you have to be born with some talent, like 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 good pitch and some and the and the right parents. But it has to be a lot of it is in here to be. Not everybody can be a great painter. Not everybody has the balance to be an extraordinary figure skater or ballet dancer. But everybody has the ability to bring fish to a waterfront and feed it. That's why that particular film, the picture of a man who's saying, it's the cats that taught me how to be a person, taught me how to be a human being. And the cats gave me back my health. And I missed the cats yesterday, and I couldn't eat my dinner well. It makes tears in my eyes, because I think everybody is born with the capacity to be good. I think. Remember a month ago, I was saying, I wonder if that's true. Do you remember that? I had my period of really not so sure. I'm not totally sure that everybody, you know what I think? There are some people who seem really, really fundamentally cruel. But I think there are very few people. I think they make a big splash of notoriety. But there are very few of them, I think. I think that's a better stance, anyway. They make a lot of news because they're so not typical. We'll revisit that about whether everybody or not everybody. <laughs> but what I wanted to say, so maybe I was going to say almost everybody has the possibility of perfecting their talents of the heart. Would that be a fair statement that, oh, everybody has capacities of the heart, and everybody has the possibility of uh, refining them, refining the qualities of the heart. Oh, that's what I was going to do and give out. Ah, let's see who wants to do this. Could somebody take this just out to, there you are, Anne. Could you take this out and ask Laura, we have about 40 people in here to make, I have about 10, but ask her to make 40 of those. It's a chart of the ten uh, perfections of the heart that the Buddha outlined. They're called uh, paramitas. It means that which has been brought to perfection. In Buddhist folklore, the Buddha, before his lifetime as Siddhartha Gautama, had many, many lifetimes before. You can either take this metaphorically as it takes a long time to grow up into a responsible adult, or you can say it took many, 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 many lifetimes. And in the time of the Buddha, the folklore was that it took many lifetimes. And there are stories called Jataka tales that are um, sort of fables about the lifetime in which the Buddha was a, a hawk or the Buddha was a uh, buffalo and always behaving 
with some talent of the heart really perfected, the talent of friendship, the talent of generosity. Uh, and that they're usually published as children's stories. We probably have them in our bookstore here. Uh, and, and the stories are, in fact, from a long time ago. I don't know whether they're from the time of the Buddha or over time, but uh, an animal as a perfection, demonstrating one of those perfections of the heart, which are generosity, morality, uh, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and uh, equanimity. That's going to be a chart that's going to have all ten of them. And uh, I studied them for a couple of years, ten years ago. They, I, they, they were what I studied very closely for the better part of a year. I wrote a book about them, and I read Jataka Tales, and I talked about developing the paramis as a, a contemplative practice. You usually think of spiritual practice, I'll sit down and meditate. And uh, my thesis then and now is we can and should sit down and meditate, but we can also say, this week, I'm going to practice generosity. And they say, well, I'm already doing it. You know, that uh, I'm already stopping for the people who ask for something. I'm already, we're all pretty generous, I think. But I'm thinking about generosity in even the largest sense, giving somebody else the right of way when it's mine, actually, or waving somebody ahead of me online in the supermarket because they've got one package and I've got 10 in my basket and let them go ahead of me, or holding the door to somebody going into the bank. There are all kinds of little gifts we can give to people. And all of those gifts, they're not only nice things to do, but they mean each of them. I notice that you're here, and I'm being sensitive to your needs. That's what it means. If I say to somebody, why don't you go ahead of me, it means I noticed you, and I noticed your needs, and I'm being sensitive to that. Not that the, you have to say that, you just say you want the place, yeah? But to notice in each of those gestures, you think to yourself, that's a moment of, I don't need to, you know, I don't need that one minute that I'm going to save by charging ahead on the line. Or I, it, and the Buddha would say, and I would say, that any minute of saying, I don't need that, is, is a, a moment of lightness of heart. And you give something away, and you really feel, I felt great about that, Sam. I felt, I didn't, I not only didn't feel guilty, which I would have had I not done it in time, but I felt great. It's a moment of realizing I am really tremendously lucky to be in a position to buy a lot of people of sandwiches on any given day. That's a really lucky place to be. So it's a moment of celebration, not to be tied up in your own, in your own life. Say that it's uh, giving up self-preoccupation uh, in a moment of realizing there are other people that we share this world with that are part of our lives and that by interacting with them, we enhance our own. There was one other thing that I wanted to read out of yesterday's paper, where it is David Brooks, who's talking about um, 
He's speculating about uh, what is this generation like, and the rest of this doesn't, the rest of the whole article doesn't, isn't as germane as the end. But he's talking about uh, the idea of uh, uh, making a decision in the Eightfold Path. Let's start the sentence over. In the Eightfold Path, um, there's no there's no path part that says wise relationship, wise understanding, wise uh, aspiration, wise action, wise speech, wise uh, um, what's it called? Wise vocation, wise um, livelihood, uh, wise effort, wise concentration, wise mindfulness. It doesn't say wise relationship. And it, you know, it, it kind of makes sense because it was really uh, um, geared to the development of one's internal process and mostly for monks. Renunciates. But we live in a very relational age and we're hopeful to be, we hope to be involved in, if not a primary relationship, a few primary relationships. And he was talking about the need to have, make a relationship, the value of making a relationship that has a vow about it, like vowing to stay together with some person and celebrating it in a public way. Talking about the importance of making a vow, it's getting less, less traditional now. Most, more than 50% of babies born these days are born to parents who are not in a vowed relationship with each other. I saw that yesterday. I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. I mean, we, we do all kinds of things. And uh, the critique of an estate, you know, a state-sanctioned marriage, I think, is a valid one that's so difficult to get out of and mostly is not relevant now anyway. But the, the value of a vow, just for the vow part, because he, he, he has a whole column that's devoted to really, if you're in a vowed relationship and you decide to make it your work to stay in that relationship, then there's gonna be times when you're pushed because this isn't exactly what you wanted. You have to do what the other person wants or compromise with the other person or be caring about the other person at least about as, as much as yourself. And he's calling that a life of covenant. He said the best feature of a life of covenant is that the relationship is not just about itself. It serves some larger purpose of fulfilling our dream of a life together or taking care of our family if there's a family involved. He said, but the deeper one is one of transformation. People in a covenant try to love each other in a way that brings out their loveliness. They hope that through this service, they'll become a slightly less selfish version of themselves. I really like that. Love is realistically a stronger force than self-interest. Detached calculation in matters of should I stay together or not is self-strangulating. The deepest joy sneaks in the back door when you're surrendering to some sacred promise. I was thinking about one of the, fa the fact that for, I, I certainly think reasons of good luck as much as good health and good fortune and 
and the fact that we share a lot, but I have been in a relationship with the same person for 65 years. I was really, I, I was still 15 years old when I met him, and I'm past 80. So, and we're both still alive, which is amazing. And one of my friends is a nun who, I, I got married at 18 and she took holy orders at 18. And she's two years older than I did. And we have talked so frequently about the path of relationship is not easy. And it's not, um, <coughs> fidelity to a vow is not easy. And uh, it's not true that you never think about undoing the vow or breaking the rule. But if you decide to do it, it's really a very strong call to not put so much effort into your own happiness and invest it in someone else for the benefit of, I, I like that line about love each other in, so that one's own loveliness is brought out. That's really a great line. I marry people, not so often, but I do. I haven't said that particular line, but I think I will. The point of it is not, anyway, you got the point. I don't have to explain it to you better than that. That's the point. Oh, it's 12 o'clock. That's too fast. <laughs> the last thing to say that I hope will put it together. My friend Lou, we said, was good. And uh, often when you think about what is the point of Buddhist practice, if Roger had said we'd done all this practice, all of us done different practices, all of us so steadfastly over the years, isn't the uh, point of practice to become wise? Uh, it sounds more elevated, I practiced and I became wise. It sounds more elevated than I practiced and I became good. It should have been good to begin with, you know, before you started. What about the people who don't practice Dharma, don't have that same uh, experience of impermanence and empty uh, and and relationship and suffering? I think actually, wise is good, because if we were wise, we would be the wisdom would be wisdom in the ubiquity of suffering, the fact that. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. The, uh, there's a degree of suffering that's obvious in people who are trapped in a life of poverty or trapped in a life of homelessness or trapped in a body that doesn't operate well. When my mother, my, my mother died in her 40s of uh, just heart failure from having had rheumatic heart disease when she was a child. That's all fixable now, but it wasn't then. And uh, she was a very cheerful woman and really did not complain about her situation. But every once in a while, she'd, we'd be somewhere, going somewhere, and she walked slowly and she'd run out of steam. And she'd see some woman, obviously more or less her age, and she'd say, with maybe some envy, but not meanness. She said, you see that woman? She has, she, she has the heart. She, that woman is walking around with my heart. No, she, that woman is walking around with the heart that should be in me, or something like that. It wasn't not allowing the other woman to have that heart, but the other woman's body and her brisk stride 
matched how my mother felt. Her body did not match how she felt. I think about that now. My son just had his aortic valve replaced. You probably know about that. Three months ago. And he's riding his bicycle up and down all over Marin County, and he'll do the AIDS ride uh, again for the ninth or tenth year consecutively this year. You can go on AIDS rides and look on his website that you can tick on Michael Borstein and see he's riding. And the first thing he did when he came home and convalesced in November was to write to all the people on his list who've been supporting his ride for all those years, say, I'm doing it, you know, and he will. Maybe he's having the end of my mother's story or something. But wise is really good seeing that everybody struggles. People struggle with manifest problems in the world, but startlingly affluent people have their children die in accidents or of a disease or get sick. It happens to everybody. Wise is seeing the ubiquitous nature of suffering. Everybody is always adjusting to what's happening to them then. Person, the parents of the child who came in fourth in the ice skating finals, uh, driving after all those four o'clock in the morning to the coach sessions. You have to think, not, um, it's not about I'm doing this so that he'll get in the Olympics. I'm just doing it. And we'll see what happens. Let's see what happens next. Either it's this or it's not this. Actually, he did great, that boy. He's now probably coming on 40, 45 years old. He's the lead dancer in ice shows all over the world. And he teaches at Sun Valley. And he's had a lovely life skating at the time. It's ubiquitous nature of disappointment would be another way to say. What we're really making is minds that are sensitive to everybody else because everybody is disappointed. So just take a paper home with you if you have it and bring it. And in the next two weeks, We'll bring it out, and I'll bring more of them for who wasn't here today. And we'll talk about them. I, I'd like to give you an hypothesis that you could think about if you look at them at home. If you look at the first one is generosity, and it looks like, okay, generosity is generosity, and you always think about giving something away. Uh, I think they're all acts of generosity. And so if you have some time to think about it as a kind of a homework, Think about what's the gift involved in each of them. There's a gift. Is that all right? I thought about. Oh, I did. Did you see the Horton? We didn't get a chance. I was saying in the day of. No, it's not Horton. Here's a who. It's Horton hatches the egg. Horton hatches the egg. How many people know Horton Hatches the Egg and read it to their children a thousand times? I will only show you the pictures because, oh, you can see him. There he is. Horton the Elephant was sitting on his egg one day. 
beside Maisie, a lazy bird hatching an egg. I'm tired and I'm bored. I've got kinks in my leg from sitting, just sitting here day after day. I'm bored. How I hate it. I'd much rather play. I'd take a vacation and fly off for a rest if I could find someone to sit on my nest. If I could find someone, I'd fly away free. Then Horton the elephant passed by her tree. Hello, called the lazy bird, smiling her best. I'm tired and I'm bored. And you look very good. Would you, would you take care of the egg on my nest? I'll be right back. You won't miss me. So there he is, and he sits down. Maybe he bolsters up the tree. He sits down, if you can see, he sits through all kinds of turbulent weather. She doesn't come back. Uh, he sits through snow and ice. She doesn't come back. Three hunters come up, and they, they're about to shoot him. Then someone says, but he doesn't back off the egg. And someone says, no, it's a much better idea. Let's catch him and take him to a circus. That's what we'll do. So they tie him up, and they take him on a boat. You don't know the story. It's a great story. And they take him on a boat, and they sell him um, Key West somewhere. Sold to a circus, and week after week, they showed him to people at 10 cents a peak. They took him to Boston, to Kalamazoo, Chicago, Weehawken, and Washington, too, to Dayton, Ohio, St. Paul, Minnesota, to Wichita, Kansas, to Drake, North Dakota, and everywhere, thousands of folks flocked to see and laugh at the elephant up in a tree. Poor Horton grew sadder the further he went, but he said as he sat in the hot, noisy tent, I meant what... And I said what I meant, an elephant's faithful 100%. Then one day, the circus show happened to reach a town way down south, not so far from Palm Beach. And dawdling along way up high in the sky, who, of all people, should chance to fly by but that good old good-for-nothing bird, runaway Macy. <laughs> still on vacation and still just as lazy and spying the flags and the tents just below she sang out what fun why I'll go to the show and she swooped from the clouds through an open tent door good gracious gasped Maisie I've seen you before poor Horton looked up <laughs> his wife faded with his his face white as chalk he started to speak, but before he could talk, there rang out the noisiest ear-splitting quacks, squeaks from the egg that he'd sat on for 51 weeks. A thumping, a bumping, a wild along scratch, scratching. My egg, shouted Horton. My egg, why it's hatching. But it's mine, screamed the bird when she saw the egg crack. The work was all done. Now she wanted it back. It's my egg, she sputtered. You stole it from me. Get out of my egg. Get out of my nest and get down from that tree. Poor Horton back down with a sad, heavy heart. But at that very moment, the egg burst apart 
and out of the pieces of red and white shell from the egg that he'd sat on so long and so well, Horton the elephant saw something whiz. It had ears and a tail and a trunk just like his. <laughs>And the people came shouting, what's all this about? They looked and they stared with their eyes popping out. And they cheered and they cheered and they cheered more and more. They've never seen anything like it before. My goodness, my gracious, they shouted, my word. It's something brand new. It's an elephant bird. <laughs> and it should be, it should be, it should be like that because Horton was faithful. He sat and he sat. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and they sent him home happy, 100%. So, so what you know is, uh, I have four children. I read that a lot. <laughs> and it's not so much generosity. What's the, what's the parami that's involved there? Of those 10 paramis, what is it? Patience, 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 determination, loving kindness, and determination, I meant what I said and I said what I meant, uh, taking a vow, renunciation, I'm not getting down out of this tree, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to sit here even, I'm renouncing my comfort, snowing on me, icicles, Integrity, well, that would be part of morality, is integrity. Yeah, for sure. So completely. What were you going to say? Loving kindness. There's a live being in this egg. I can't leave it here. It's like the man saying, I missed my fish yesterday. I couldn't eat my dinner with a good conscience. Oh, I like that. I have tears in my eyes. I think I've always taught it from the point of view of its, its patience. It's everything. I think that what we're going to find out when we do this chart next week is everything is everything. <laughs> Why don't you have that as a homework? Can you not come next week because you... No, I, I, I forgot your name. All of a no, my, yours I know, Anne. Behind you. Oh, Aaron. Aaron, can you not come next week? It's your birthday today. Okay. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Did someone read it to you? <laughs> oh, good. Thank you very much. My actual book, but this is an actual perennial, totally bestseller. Thidwick the Moose. You read Thidwick the Moose? Not today. <laughs> but I wanted to bring that up in terms of we don't... So I, I don't rush <clears throat> to uh, bring the, I, I, did, I did put all the Jataka tales, 10 different ones, into the book I wrote. But they're Jataka tales for children in an earlier era. This is a Jataka tale for children now, of the talents of the heart. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. So you have a long ride home. Thank you for coming, Cindy, everybody else who came. Come again. I'll see you next week. I'll be here next week, and I'll be here the week after. <clears throat> no. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.